Every day we face hurdles in our life and problems that require new approaches or breakthrough innovations. In this podcast series, we're going to meet people that take audacious swings for the fence because they believe that changing the game is their personal responsibility. They believe it is up to them to be the solution. Hi, I'm Mark Forche. I'm the president and CEO of Delphinus, and welcome to our Be The Solution podcast. Uh, today, we have a really incredible group of people to talk with, uh, some venture capitalists. And this podcast is focused on innovators that take on big challenges and find the solutions to them. They are the solution to those challenges. And I can't think of anyone better to uh, take on challenges than venture capitalists and what they do with their lives. Uh, if you stop and think about the technology innovations that you use every day, it's incredible that the founder of that idea or that company took on that challenge and created that technology, but they couldn't do it with no fuel. The fuel is essential to make those dreams become realities. And venture capitalists play an incredible role in that. And they are very passionate innovators and, and investors in those ideas as they grow. So I'd like to welcome our three guests. I have John Nice, Paul McCready, and Michael Gross. Uh, each of you are venture uh, capitalist investors. So please, maybe if we, John, we'll just start with you, maybe some of your background and what made you be a venture capitalist. Sure. I'm John Nice, Managing Director at Venture Investors. I'm based in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, we are an early stage healthcare focused uh, fund uh, and principally looking at technology spinning out of major research universities in the Midwest. I think what inspired me to get into this business um, many decades ago was the chance to work with uh, brilliant innovators on campuses who saw an opportunity to change the world in a meaningful way. And uh, to be involved with new treatments, new diagnostic tools that have an impact on people's lives is incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Mark, uh, I'm Paul McCready, and I'm a partner with uh, Arboretum Ventures. So we're a healthcare-focused venture capital fund, similar to, to venture investors and in where we invest. Um, early stage investor uh, by where we tend to focus our initial investments. So I've been with Arboretum for about 16 years and really started my career as an engineer in a large, uh, large corporation, worked in a big manufacturing company before I was a venture capitalist. And I think what really got me interested in this is playing a bigger role in something meaningful and working with innovators. When I was at a large company, the ability to impact and drive change was, was much more limited. And so my opportunity to, to enter venture capital was really about working with innovative people and driving change. And cer certainly it's something that we're able to do across our portfolio and very much so with Delphinus. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, Michael Gross, Managing Director with Berengia. Uh, we're a growth equity investor, so we tend to help companies in the commercial stage of their journey. Um, Located here in Farmington Hills, also have an office in London, England. Um, and I, I got into venture about 14 years ago, I joined Berengia. And for more than 20 years, I've been in capital markets and doing M&A transactions. And um, that was very transactional focus, but the shift to venture is rewarding because it allows you to work with a company and a team to build, just like John and Paul said, you're building an innovative solution over many years, which is very rewarding. 
Awesome. So building an innovative solution uh, to kind of unmet challenges, I think uh, that probably in inspires us all. Um, so I think one of the things, if I'm sitting in your shoes and what you have to deal with every day, I mean, so the easy path is uh, to create pink ears that go on a Facebook picture, put in a million dollars and get out a billion. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of <laughs> you, you hear those things sometimes. It's not an easy easy achievement, but, but, but that's uh, maybe a less, a, a, a less uh, uh, rigorous path maybe than sometimes uh, medical device companies or life science companies have to go through. So, so when you think about uh, challenges that a medical device company sees, you know, how, do you, how do you assess is the technology uh, is it really breakthrough? What kind of things, what kind of criteria do you look at when something comes across your desk to say, that's something that we want to invest our, our funds in? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll take a crack at that, Mark, because we invest across industries. Mm -hmm. So if you've got, if you can prove to me that there's a market for pink ear app, then <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. So we're constantly yeah, yeah. looking at device deals or med tech deals. Yeah. Uh, against those other opportunities. Uh, and about 40 to 50% of what we do is healthcare and med tech related. Um, and I think the ingredients of what makes something innovative is the same. You look at the market and you look for that unmet need. And then you have a lot of discussions with people in that market about whether that technology meets that unmet need. Yeah. And so that's a big part of our due diligence exercise is interviewing people in the market to say, does this technology or solution meet your pain point? And when you have that product market fit, that's when you start to lean into um, the other aspects of a company that can make it great and whether that's worth uh, your time and your capital to, to back. Yeah, yeah. So maybe a lot of times though, um, before that unmet need is really clearly being met, uh, it's your funding that's needed to, to take something from a sketch on the back of a napkin uh, to, to become a real technology that really can be tested appropriately. So um, how do you, when, when something comes to you in a really early stage, I think Paul, you said, you said early stage, something's a really early stage, what are you, what are you looking for uh, in that concept or that vision uh, to Sure. I mean, aside from the, the market aspects Michael mentioned, so much of what we do is centered around the people that are developing those innovations. Yeah. No matter what, no matter how good a technology appears in due diligence and how well vetted the development platform is, there are going to be significant challenges that come along the way. And so a big part of the earliest stages has as much to do with you know, certainly a product market fit and a real problem you're solving but do you have the team and the people there that are passionate about it? They have the experience and the background to deliver on that. And, you know, from the investor side too, it's an important part of what we do is try to make sure we have partners at the outset that can continue to support the company throughout because without question, there are going to be setbacks, delays and, and curveballs that, that we have to uh, overcome. And, you're, you're no stranger to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly yeah. right. I mean, I, you know, I think you think about uh, times that every, every venture finds themselves smacking into the wall on something, some hypothesis that you thought was going to be correct. Uh, and you have to 
You have to uh, stare at it, maybe look at it slightly different angle. Uh, a lot of times those become pivots in a, the way a company advances. And I find that particular period of time in the development of a company and the way innovation gets developed is, is super challenging. John, I, I mean, I, I know you've funded lots of companies and yeah. uh, that's a really unique, a, a unique thing that entrepreneurs face. Uh, is seeing something that they had hoped was going to be a hypothesis turn true and then having to, to pivot or change that. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I mean, that is the thing about an entrepreneurial journey is, look, Paul's absolutely right. You're looking for someone who has mapped out a vision of where they want to go and has thought about it in sufficient detail of what needs to be done. You, you, always, you always find obstacles along the way. Um, you know, it's not like um, in a big corporation, it'd be like, uh, you know, a, a pilot trying to fly an airliner from New York to Paris. Yeah. This is more like Lindbergh. Yeah. You know, where y you don't have weather systems, you don't have uh, predictability, and you take off directionally, and you have to adjust along the way, and you need people who know how to adapt. They don't get too high when things are going well. They don't get too low when they encounter obstacles. You know, you have to have that steady rudder to you know, even keel yeah. uh, uh, to sail to your destination. Yeah, so a uh, lot of decisions that have to be made along the way, a lot of kind of challenging what you went into with your original thinking and being right. willing to pivot and think differently. Uh, it's just kind of good, good process. I think for me, one of the things that I think about a lot is when you're faced in those situations, what helps you get through them. And one is, you know, if you have new evidence of something, you know, that it can even be a just small amount of evidence that can help justify uh, your your next thought, then that that makes a that makes a huge difference. So full disclosure, you're all investors in Delphinus. <laughs> and uh, no, 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 no surprise. Um, and uh, I'm just curious, as you looked at this uh, this market segment, this unmet need, the technology, w you know, what, what sort of things made you look at all the things you could invest in and make you uh, say, okay, I see this as uh, something that matches with our uh, kind of mission? Well, I mentioned um, as we allocate capital looking for that un unmet need in, in the market, and here it's clear. 40% of the population has d dense breast tissue. Uh, mammography is a coin toss for, for those patients. So mm -hmm. there has to be a solution. And uh, it, 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 because that population needs it. And historically, there haven't been the ingredients, the compute power, the workflow solutions, um, and the software systems to bring an appropriate solution to that population. And all of those things converged when Delphinus started creating this system. So it was a lot of things coming together to make this the right time to mm -hmm. bring a great solution to market that meets a, a really significant unmet need and ultimately will save many lives. Yeah. Just, just an additional comment on, the, on those points. It's not always the case as well that the patient experience is such a huge part of the overall kind of value proposition. And everything that Michael said about, you know, the, the technology advancement and other things and the ability to find more cancers, but to do so in a way that even from the patient's perspective 
is so much more safe and comfortable. That was one of the uh, last points for us when we were really sort of, are we going to make this bet that, that really generated a lot of enthusiasm at Arboretum was because of, of, the, of that aspect, because it's, it's really on both sides, you know, the clinical aspects, um, you know, the, the, the experience and the safety. Mm-hmm. We, we, we knew there was a problem. And, mm-hmm. and it looked like you had a solution. I think it was known that ultrasound could be very helpful, um, but what you guys brought to the table was the triple acoustic detection mm-hmm. that really brought additional information to the equation mm-hmm. and really provided the ability to have a superior detection mm-hmm. and differentiation between different kinds of tissue. Mm-hmm. And that's what we saw as uh, offering the potential for a big breakthrough here compared to what everybody else was trying to do. Well, I mean, I, I, I appreciate your audacity in making those calls and making those investments because it did let us then take that funding and then execute upon the vision that we had. And um, so one of the things that's, uh, that's kind of interesting, we did a huge clinical trial. As you well know, we enrolled 8,500 patients. We uh, did reader studies. I mean, it, you know, discovered so much about this technology. And then at the end of it, you wind up with the data that resulted in a PMA approval, uh, which feels really wonderful. Uh, and then we get to commercialize that and you know, seek to solve this address this unmet need. But one of the things that happens in all that is, is you wind up now with this really pretty picture of performance, but there's all kinds of things that happen in the background. So if you think about as a investor, what you observe in companies, not, not just us, but any portfolio company, as they're chasing their challenge, what things do you wish unmet or excuse me, what things do you wish customers that ultimately use it could see within the companies as they're chasing that challenge? Uh, is there anything that you think that you, maybe they don't know as a customer that would be worthwhile and valuable? I have a, just an observation on that, and I'm not saying that we always get it exactly right, but I think if you're considering our customers like the, the, the clinicians that are going to be using this, yeah. how much effort and thought goes into making their lives easier and having something like this fit seamlessly into their practice or the way they treat patients? As I said, we don't always get it perfectly right, but that is one of the things that I don't think people appreciate so much time and energy goes into is making sure that there aren't barriers to clinical adoption. And the, the barriers to clinical adoption start with the practitioners themselves. Are we meeting their needs so that this technology fits into how they how their day works to make sure that it can you know impact the most patients? So yeah. that's that's one of the things that there's a big a big proportion of our resources are directed at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the things to me that I um, I, I feel uh, having been on multiple teams bringing innovations to market is the uh, deep sense of passion and commitment to delivering real scientifically based approaches that that really do the right thing to address the unmet needs. And, um, you know, certainly that's what our customers want. That's what physicians want in the technologies they say. But 
it is, it is deeply ingrained in the team as they try to address this because we're trying to satisfy the expectations of those people. And, and it's, uh, it, it winds up in the boardroom discussions about how well we satisfy that. And I think it probably does with every, every single one of your, um, your portfolio companies. So, okay, so you fund a company, company takes an idea, takes the napkin design, uh, makes it into a product, tests it, delivers evidence that it performs. But then once it's on the other side of that threshold, now you have to actually deliver the transformation uh, that you envision and address the unmet need. And a lot of times the status quo might really just kind of seem okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, uh, the, I think movies get made about transformations that deliver something disruptive and, uh, and it, it, it turns out to flip a market over. You know, Steve Jobs, four movies about Apple and that transformation. Uber, there's a whole Netflix series about that now. Uh, or uh, yeah, Uber, this Netflix, and then Netflix. <laughs> there's a whole whole series about uh, about Netflix now. So when you when you think about the status quo, in that area needing to kind of see this new disruptive technology, what things do you think are required for a transformation to really do just that, transform the actual use? or transform the segment? Is there anything that jumps out to you? Yeah, I mean, when we're thinking about that, we often say, is it a nice to have or a must have? And there's a big difference in that because if you're trying to disrupt that user behavior uh, where the status quo might be just fine, it has to be a must have. There has to be absolute user delight in using that product mm -hmm. or such a big unmet need that physicians have to have it or clinicians have to have it or the, pop the patient population has to have it. Uh, but when it's a must-have and you bring that solution to market, then you see that disruptive behavior. Mm -hmm. awesome. awesome. It's just, there, there are several aspects to that. It's both meeting the needs of the, the, clinical, uh, the clinical workflow, as we talked about, saving lives, reducing cost. I mean, it really delivers on that overall value proposition from every angle. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just the, the kind of the culmination of that product market fit that you described. This is a situation where not only the physicians are aware that there's a problem, the patients know there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Women are aware that they have dense breasts and mammography isn't doing the job for them. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about a, you know, a problem that needs solving, it, it, it doesn't get any bigger than cancer. Mm -hmm. And you know, a cancer diagnosis is a is a difficult thing in life. Well, it's even more difficult if you discover it could have been found earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, this is a, a, a really big breakthrough that has a chance to have a meaningful impact on life. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So uh, going all the way through the spectrum now, so you you see the you know the design on a napkin, meet the founder, uh, decide it's something you want to pursue, invest take it through the evidence, uh, launch it. How do you, as venture capitalists, as investors, how do you measure success of the investment that you've made? What are the, what are the kind of metrics of that in the end? Well, we're all venture capitalists. <laughs> so at some, at some level, yeah. truly, it's about making returns for our funds and for our investors. Yeah. 
The wonderful thing about doing this in a healthcare field is that we have the ability to do that while succeeding for patients and improving health. Yeah. So we certainly measure a lot of that impact at Arboretum as well, just with the companies we've been in, that we've invested in. Even, you know, and thankfully many of those that have been very successful also impact to patients, impact to health. So it is, in some respects, kind of a, you know, a double bottom line, if you will. But, you know, ultimately, we all are here because our funds have seen success and have been able to make nice returns for our investors. But it's one of the feel-good aspects of this that we are able to just improve human health yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we're obviously returns driven, but um, certainly in the healthcare field, there is uh, an underlying drive that uh, is extremely strong and that we measure on, on changing people's lives. Um, I think we also look at the outcome for an investment in the company and um, whether that was a good outcome for everyone, for the employees. So mm -hmm. the, the team has put their lives into these companies and technologies. And so um, one measure of success is, did we find the right home for that company and the right outcome mm -hmm. to reward those employees uh, and the team members yeah. along that journey? And that that's one of the most rewarding parts of being a venture capitalist is seeing so many people's lives change at the company level um, and then having those relationships come full circle and backing those entrepreneurs again and again because that's how we build our networks is through those successes. Yeah, well, I, I have to tell you, being on the operating side of these investments and doing things, I've always felt that <clears throat> making, uh, you know, building companies is a little, it becomes a little bit like making movies. You know, <laughs> you have your syndicate that funds it and you have the cast that you use a lot because you have worked with them before and they yeah. have a great vibe. And it, you know, it turns out that they know what they're doing. And, uh, and then if that works and it's a hit, you make another one and another one and Absolutely. another one. And it, it is a really uh, incredible kind of relationship based uh, business. It's important, I think, for customers to know that that's behind because it's a bunch of people with good intentions, focused on the right things, trying to do well uh, to satisfy things and in, uh, in unmet needs. And uh, it, it's how innovation becomes real. So I'd like to say just, you know, thank you for it would be impossible to do things without what you provide, the fuel you provide, the guidance that you provide, and your colleagues provide to their portfolio companies. I mean, it's an incredible part of the innovation, uh, and it is part of being the solution to getting innovations to become real. So uh, I'd like to say to the viewers, thank you for joining us for this. Uh, this is a unique and interesting part uh, of innovation that maybe people don't typically get to see. The very idea that innovations that you see in front of you and that you live with every day are so compelling and so intriguing, but they had to be funded. And funding is a vital and necessary part of it for it to become a reality. Uh, so this has been a really extraordinarily interesting thing for me. I hope it was for you and look forward to having you join us for the next episode of the Be The Solution podcast. Thanks.